This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. We talked a couple of weeks ago with Wharton professor, management professor Moro Gian about how businesses are having to pivot in order to get through this time of the coronavirus. Professor Gian has written a new book that looks even more towards the future and even to a degree the social changes we may be seeing occur. The book is titled 2030, How Today's Biggest Trends Will Collide and Reshape the Future of Everything. And a pleasure to welcome back uh, Mauro Gian onto the show. Mauro, hope you're doing well. Great to talk to you again. Thank you for having me, Dan. Thank you. So take us through, uh, I guess, the process in, in just thinking about doing a book like this. And, and, and obviously, this is a, you know, a very unique time that we're in and, and what could be a very well unique uh, decade that we're headed into. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think uh, everyone sees change everywhere. And I think it's really important to figure out where are we going to be in five years from now? How are consumer markets going to look like in 10 years from now? Uh, I think it's extremely important for businesses and also for individuals as investors, as savers, uh, uh, just more generally as citizens uh, to figure out uh, what the future is going to look like. How much do you think that, that that the pandemic has even played a role into that that change, that process that was already starting to occur with a lot of these areas? So the pandemic essentially has two different effects depending on the trend. So one is to accelerate, to intensify some trends, uh, for example, population aging. Well, as you know, in every recession, we have fewer babies. So the mere postponement of having babies accelerates population aging. So social security problems will, you know, with pensions uh, will arrive earlier. Uh, but then there's other types of trends that get uh, delayed or they get uh, even reversed by something like this. And one of them, of course, will be the growth of cities, especially in Europe and in the United States. One of the things you talk about is the, I guess, the different dynamic that will be at play in terms of the influence that portions of the world will have. Obviously, North America, Europe, and Asia have been uh, very vital uh, in in the the last many decades. But you are talking about other areas of the world really picking up and, and and seeing a larger impact in the years ahead. Yes, exactly. So, um, especially, I am very bullish on Sub-Saharan Africa because of their demographic dynamism and because of the fact, as you know, Dan that the bigger cities in Africa, they are growing and they're creating an expanding middle class. And that is the beginning, right? So we only have right now maybe 15% of the Africa, sub-Saharan African population being middle class, but that proportion is growing. And that's going to change the world because Africa is going to become very soon the second biggest region by population in the world. We're joined by Mauro Gian, who is the author of the book 2030, How Today's Biggest Trends Will Collide and Reshape the Future of Everything. So a lot is obviously focused on in, around the world of tech these days. And I think the expectation is still that, uh, you know, Silicon Valley is the leader. But we're seeing more and more areas pop up here in the United States and obviously around the world where, where tech is concerned. Is that going to continue to, to change in terms of some of those other areas that you think are going to grow in the years ahead? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, so what we're seeing is that as a result of the pandemic, um, technology adoption, uh, has been progressing much faster out of necessity, right? I mean, we've been confined to the home. Uh, students cannot uh, attend school and so on and so forth. But notice also something that I think we need to watch very carefully, which is the new incentives for automation, uh, especially in the service sector, especially in customer-facing jobs that this crisis creates because it's a public health crisis. 
Um, So we're going to see more automation. We're going to see, unfortunately, I think, more technological unemployment. Many of the jobs that have been lost in the American economy, I don't think they're coming back. So we're going to have to think very carefully um, in political terms and in social terms as well to what the implications of uh, further automation, especially in the service sector, will be. Wouldn't that also uh, play a role when you're thinking about different policy uh, patterns that we may be following? And then also our education as well, if we're going to have more uh, automation in a lot of jobs that, that would have been held by, uh, by, uh, by human beings in the past. You know, exactly. And I think um, in terms of policymaking, we're going to have to figure out how to retrain, how to help those people find other jobs. And we may have to consider very seriously ideas such as a universal basic income, which I, I think you have discussed in your show on several occasions. Yeah. So this used to be a fringe kind of idea. I think it's becoming very quickly much more mainstream. Well, and, and obviously the irony is that I, I guess to a degree we've seen that a little bit here in the United States with the, the $1,200 stimulus checks, but what you're talking about is something that is more of a common component to how governments kind of uh, you know run their operations and how they, they look out for their citizenry. Exactly. And it's not uh, just uh, you know about uh, being nice to people, which I think we should be, but it's yeah. also there's a business case. Remember, two-thirds of the American economy is consumption. If people don't have jobs or don't have well-paying jobs, then we need to uh, compensate for that. One of the other areas you focus on I- involves currency and how currency may very well be changing. And, and to a degree, we've already seen it with, with things like Bitcoin, uh, but even more so over the years ahead. Yes, I think uh, what we need to seriously consider is a situation in which entrepreneurs will come up with new ideas as to what cryptocurrencies, or to be more precise, crypto tokens will be. I think if um, cryptocurrencies are just a substitute for money, the money that governments issue, then I don't think we're going to get too far because, as you know, regulators are always against uh, cryptocurrencies as as a competitor for legal tender. Uh, But if we add other functions, other uses to those digital tokens, like, uh, you know, they will help us vote, they will help us uh, keep politicians in check, they will help us um, uh, provide incentives for people to uh, save the environment, then I think uh, there is a bright future ahead of us for digital tokens. So instead of digital currencies, I think I would say digital tokens, which will include a currency component to them. How do we then look at an issue which is obviously drawing a lot of attention in the last few years, something like the wealth gap. Well, that's a uh, huge, um, I think, development uh, of the last 20 years. And uh, as you very well know, the pandemic only exacerbates inequality because not everyone can work from the home and therefore they have to expose themselves to the virus while taking public transportation to go to work. Or students, I mean, there's this estimate um, that about 20% of uh, K through 12 students in the United States don't have the hardware or the connectivity that they need at home in order to continue learning. So this is, I think, the most unfortunate part of this pandemic, that it really exacerbates inequality by income, by race, even by gender. As you know, unemployment is growing faster among women than men. Um, So this is something that we need to pay attention to. And I hope that the two presidential candidates, by the way, start debating exactly how they're going to deal with this increasing inequality. So do you think that that we're on a pattern where a lot of these issues are ready to be tackled at this point? Obviously, we have so much division here in this country. Uh, but in general, do you think we're ready to tackle a lot of these issues? Well, I think uh, there is increasing awareness 
Um, but I guess uh, we will have to wait until the presidential election is resolved and also who controls the Senate to see exactly come January what are the proposals. But I don't think whoever happens to be in the White House and whoever controls the Senate come January, I don't think they they will be able to avoid, to ignore uh, this most pressing of issues that we have now, inequality. Um, you know, we're seeing social tensions. We're seeing all sorts of frictions uh, proliferate. And I think the sooner we start tackling it, the better. So is it is it to a degree an, a case where, I mean, obviously you have people that are worried about various individual issues. You ran through, you know, a, a, a strong list of them just a few moments ago. But is it also just kind of changing your overall mindset and and maybe having a larger scope look of how we need to view of what we want our world to look like in 2030 with all of these issues kind of uh, playing a, a role in that process? Yes, no, I, 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 I do believe so, Dan. Uh, for example, uh, you know, just to break down this really big issue into something that is more comprehensible, uh, I think uh, many parents are now concerned about whether their children will be able to have the kind of life that they've been able to have. Um, and the, thing, the way things are going, maybe only a small fraction of them will do better than their parents. But here in the United States, I think one of the single most important values that we have is that we want every generation to do better than the previous one. And this is becoming increasingly difficult, as you know. Uh, millennials right now are suffering from, uh, for a second time during their adult lifetimes, a very difficult labor market. Yeah. So I think, uh, yes, I think there's more consciousness of this. I think there's more awareness. And I think the culture will need to adjust in terms of, hey, we need to revisit some of our values. And, and you also have to, I think, in many cases, have to revisit and, and maybe have a different mindset in terms of different policy perspectives, thinking about you know the government entity and, and thinking about economic policy as well as, as we move forward. Absolutely. I think the time has come to be a little bit more innovative, uh, to explore things that 10, 20 years ago we thought in terms of government policymaking were like, um, uh, you know, completely out of bounds. Uh, but now, again, I mean, the problems have become so large. And by the way, we haven't even talked about uh, climate change, uh, that uh, we really need to start thinking outside of the box. So let's touch on that as a last point, because uh, that is something that I know you're very passionate about. There's so many millions of people around the globe are very passionate about in terms of of looking at the issues around climate change and and what we need to really focus on moving forward. Well, I think what we need to focus is on two things. One is uh, international collaboration among governments, which, as you know, uh, when it comes to climate change, but also other topics like trade is completely absent right now. And then the second one, which is the one that I push in my book, is uh, we also need as individuals, as communities, we also need to take ownership of this. We need to be less wasteful. We need to economize on resources. We need to be more pro-environmental in our own behavior as consumers. Mauro, it's a fantastic book. Thanks very much for giving us some time today to talk about it and all the best with it. Thank you for having me, Dan. Thank you. As always, great to talk with Mauro Guillen, management professor at the Wharton School. The book is titled 2030, How Today's Biggest Trends Will Collide and Reshape the Future of Everything. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.